The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I invite you all to be seated. So, so being truly the extrovert in the family that I am, my daughter takes, off, takes after me. So she may at some time not be able to restrain herself when she hears me say something particularly brilliant in the sermon, you know. So if you hear her yell, that's her saying, Amen. If y'all believe that, then I have some uh, oceanfront property in Iowa for you to sell you. Um, so we, we, this Reformation Sunday, gather remembering the 501st year since Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to Castle Church in Wittenberg. And... We commemorate this every year by, as Pastor John was saying, wearing red. And actually, I thought the answer that, that the young man during the children's time gave was pertinent, especially in a congregation. You know, every congregation I go to has the same red book. A few of them still have the same green book that we all had for years and years and years that Jesus used when he was a child. And every, every place I go, even though they use the same book, they use it differently. They, they do different things in different order. Or you hear someone instructing before the acolyte before the service. Now remember, you light the candle on the right because that's the candle that represents Christ. Or else you'll, they'll say, now remember to light the candle on the left because the right one is a, the candle that represents Christ. And it's always the one that goes last. You know, everywhere we go, there is a different sacred tradition that every Lutheran has always done. And it, it reminds me every time I see that, that we in the church are not just a group of people who were reformed once 501 years ago and then continued on along our way, but we're a group of people who comes from a long tradition of people who worship Jesus. And all along the way, there are different traditions that have popped up in our congregations, different tr- traditions that have popped up in our culture depending on whether we're Christians who live in Asia or Christians who live in Africa or Christians who live in the United States, everywhere the church arises because the Spirit of God has inspired it, it rises up in a little bit different way. And everywhere we go, we will hear the same words when a child asks, now why do we do this? Well, we do this because it's the way everyone's always done it since Jesus was here. And everywhere we go, we... When we start to see this place after place after place, we realize that a lot of our traditions don't necessarily spring from a deep theological reason. But sometimes we come to our deep theological reasons for doing the things we do simply because we've always done them before. So an answer like, well, why do we wear red? Because it's wear red, red day, right? Why do we light the Christ candle? Because it's the Christ candle. Now, why might you ask, is this important? I'm glad you asked. And we hear in Jeremiah 31, which is actually one of my favorite texts in the Bible, 
Jeremiah is saying the time will come when people will no longer have to teach each other because I will put my word in their heart. And in a way, these different traditions that spring up among us is that's what's happening. God is putting within us the gospel that speaks to us in our context, the gospel that speaks to us in our lives, so that even though we hear the same words, you know, in a little while we're going to read the creed. It's either the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. I didn't look ahead because I wanted to preserve the suspense. But there is not one word in either one of those creeds that hasn't been fought over. Sometimes, if Arius or, or uh, Anastasius were involved, literally, you know, St. Nicholas, who we call Santa Claus, had a habit of punching heretics in the face. You know, we in the church have not always been peaceful about our disputes. The fact that we can yell at each other and then go home is actually a nice innovation that we've discovered over the last 2,000 years. So the reason that I think this becomes important is that when we engage in the traditions in our congregation and we do the things that we've always done before because they have meaning to us, because they speak to us, because they're the things that have formed us in our faith, there's not a thing that's wrong with that. It's a good thing because it helps us to hear the word of God and understand the gift of grace that God gives us. You know, and if I can be a little bit playful with the Romans 3 passage, you know, we, we hold that we are saved by grace through faith, not by the traditions of our congregations to which we feel bound. Now, now that, I think, is where we begin to get into the spirit of reformation. That, I think, is where we get into the space where we begin to realize why we need to be in constant reformation and not just celebrate this thing that Martin Luther did 500 years ago, which was his attempt to be faithful to what Jesus did on the cross and God did through the empty tomb 1,500 years before that. And to think about this, I go back to our confession. You know, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. But, you know, in the, in the sacred green book, we used to say, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. But even more, we hear in the Gospel of John today, Jesus say much more plainly, much more directly, what it is that we actually are looking for and hoping for and praying for and longing for through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And that word is a word that begins to really get at our guts a little bit because we have a really particular history with slavery. You know, we have a really particular history with the way it continues to affect our culture, even today, the fact that we had slavery. And the slavery that Jesus talks about isn't a lot different than the slavery that we knew in the United States. It's a slavery where they owned you body and spirit. And they owned you in your actions and they owned you in your deeds and they owned you in the way you could have a family. And they owned you in the way that you might be able to live or not live with your family. This slavery was a bondage. It was a captivity in which you have no choice. It's a bondage and a captivity from which someone must save you because we are incapable of saving ourselves. And all of a sudden, this begins to get at me just a little bit because I'm... I'm a good American. I like living here. I like being able to own things. I like the fact that I have a house and a car and a bank account. And Now, granted, my house and car and bank account don't define me as a human being. 
But part of who I am is a guy who has a house and a car and a bank account, right? And so there's a certain amount of autonomy that I come to expect. And not only that, but because of the way we live in this nation and the freedom we're afforded in this nation, we're able to determine what things do we buy. We're able to determine where should I go today. And not only that, but because so much of our lives are arranged around transactions, you know, not just the things that we buy, but the way we relate to people too. And that gets a little bit more uncomfortable because when we think about love, a lot of times we think, well, you know, other people may not understand love, but I understand love. You know, I'm a reasonable guy. I'm somebody who cares a lot about my wife. I'm somebody who, you know, does good things for her. I'm somebody who wants, good, who wants the best for her. And then when she wants me to do things that I don't want to do, well, didn't I do this for you? Shouldn't I be excluded from doing this thing you want me to do because I did this? That's the way this transaction works, right? You know, I love you and I get to do what I want. Is that not the way it works in your house? No, even, even our closest relationships have that aspect of transaction in them. And so when we begin to hear the, the words of Paul... We hold that we are saved by grace through faith apart from the works of the law. Well, isn't it the works of the law that allow us to to feel comfortable in this relationship with God in some way, shape, or form? I mean, you ask any five people in church on a given Sunday, why do you come to church? I guarantee you're going to get from somebody, well, I want to be a good person. Well, and granted, I want to be a good person. I agree. That is not a bad answer. The other end of that is, well, if the reason we come to church is to be a good person, then why in the world do we have to say every Sunday we confess that we are in bondage to sin, captive to sin, enslaved to sin, and cannot free ourselves? What Paul is saying, what caught Martin Luther's attention, because Martin Luther was somebody who struggled and struggled and struggled with his sinful nature. Martin Luther was a monk. And he had the the father confessor that he went to day in and day out say something along the lines of, Martin, you don't have to be in here six hours a day. How much trouble can a monk get into? And yet, Martin Luther was wrestling with his heart. He was wrestling with his conscience. He was wrestling with this idea that there's nothing that I can do to be good enough to earn the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God. And a couple of weeks ago, we had the story of Jesus encountering a rich young man, right? And, and Mark, as we, went, as we went through the travels in Mark, and the man asked Jesus, what do I have to do in order to, to get into heaven? That question, what do I have to do? Why do we go to church? Because I want to be a good person. Well, if you want to be a good person, then sell all that you own and give it to the poor. What's interesting in this to me is not only is it give away your possessions, But Jesus is taking away even the choice of who those possessions go to once the man gives them away. It's not go give them to your friends or give them to whoever you want. Go give them to the poor. We also have in this passage this idea of this being slaves to sin. You know, not just the idea that, you know, the transaction isn't necessarily the goal of our relationship to God. But the knowledge of how it is that we're freed from sin, 
It's not by my faithfulness. It's not by my cleverness. It's not by how quickly I can come up with a smart remark and I can come up with a smart remark. You know, it's, it's not by how competent I am at my job. But it's by what God does in me through the waters of baptism, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in the relationship that God initiates and God supplies, in which God loves me, in which God calls me, in which God names me, in which God claims me, in which God restores me, in which God calls me to the foot of the cross where God forgives my sins and leads me to the empty tomb where the risen Christ has already gone and all that's there are folded grave clothes. And all of a sudden I'm faced with something that I have to realize in my heart that enjoys not owing anyone anything. We're saved by grace through faith apart from the works of the law. So what comes from boasting? You know, how is it then that we can tell people what good people we are in Jesus if it doesn't rely on how good I am? All of a sudden, we see why the gospel is so hard. It's because our relationship with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't a transaction, it's a gift. And even gifts, even gifts in our lives, don't we get a lot of gifts that have strings attached? Where, where people have quiet expectations that they don't voice. At the very least, a thank you card, right? And then sometimes the next time we see the people who give us this gift, they're a little frustrated with us and we can't figure out why. Because for whatever reason, we haven't lived up to our end of the bargain. The thing that makes the gospel so hard is that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the waters of baptism... God expresses love that we did not earn. God expresses love that we cannot claim. God expresses love that we cannot get through any gift of our own. And I don't know about you, but that's something with which I struggle. In some ways, this is the reason we had the Reformation. Because Martin Luther never really did get over his sense that he owes God something. And, and it's true, there is in relationship that, that sense in which we, we have to have a response to the, to the love that's given to us. That's how relationships work. But the difference in worshiping an angry God who's waiting to punish us and worshiping a loving God who wants to give us the gift of presence and love and salvation is that when we worship an angry God, what we owe is obedience Because we're afraid of what that God is going to do to us. Think of any other relationship that we have in our lives. Where if we owe somebody that obedience because of what they've done to us, done for us. And if we don't do the thing they expect and they're going to punish us. Would would we call that love? No, we call that bullying. We call that abuse. We tell that person to get out and run as fast as they can. The difference between the angry God who's waiting to punish us and the God who calls us to relationship out of love is what we owe the God who calls us into relationship out of love is an opportunity to be loved and love in return. Out of that love grows the desire to learn how to love what God loves. Out of that love 
grows the desire to be obedient to the commandments of God. Out of that love grows the desire to love those people who God loves. Out of that love grows our response. And that's the Reformation message that I think becomes so important. That the love that we have from God, even that, is something that has been poured into our heart by the faithfulness of Jesus. As Paul writes later in Romans when he says that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. How is it that we who are good Americans live in a kingdom where we are told that the values of God's kingdom is not the transaction that we are so accustomed to, but the value of God's kingdom is living with this gift of love that we didn't earn, this gift of love that we don't merit, that gift of love that we can't get by anything that we do that God gives us freely. If we begin to approach the world in this way, through the culture of Christ, rather than the culture of transaction, how does that change the way we live in the world, knowing that this is the kingdom to which we belong because of the waters of baptism? How does that change to the way we look at people who disagree with us? How does that change the way we look at people who are in different political parties? How does that change the way we look at people who are in different religions? How does that change the the way we look at people who live over there across the water? Because we all know in this part of the state, if you have to cross a bridge or a dam or an interstate, it's just a little too far to go, isn't it? You know, how do we love those people who live over on the other side? How How do we love the people who frustrate us every time we look at them? Not because we owe them or they owe us, but because God loves them and because God loves them and God loves us, we're called to learn how to love them the way God loves them. And we, we talk about reformation in the church. But reformation in the church is useless if it doesn't make its way out into the world. How this week, as we leave this place, are we carrying and bearing and, bearing and sharing that love that God gives us so freely with the people we come in contact with? How do we use this love in a way that helps our relationships? How do we use this love in a way that helps us to learn to love ourselves a little better? How is it that each of us, as we go from this place, are going to live into the reforming, reshaping work of God's love in this world and be a part of the kingdom come? Amen.